Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. If scary movies give you dread, keep you up late night in bed, here's a podcast that will help your mind. We'll explain the plot real nicely, then we'll talk about what's frightening so you never have to have a spooky time. It's ruined. Oh, hello. Welcome to Ruined. Hello. My name is Hallie. And my name is Allison. And this is a podcast we ruin a horror movie just for you. Mm-hmm. Allison, how you doing? I'm good. I just like sat down here to record and I have some old, like I had bought flowers, just like cheapo, like carnations or whatever and had them in my kitchen. And I'm like, they're definitely done. And I just got that like <laughs> whiff of death that like when you have flowers for too long that are like, they're not, it's not like too gross. Like it's not like rotting food, but it is just this like, oh, these are dead. Like, yeah, it's just death, like chlor- like chlorophyll death. Which um, I feel like it sort of um, adds to the effect. Yes, yes. Because they are like droopy and dried out. Like they are, I know visually <laughs> that they're, I'm not like, they're dead. They look so beautiful. Like they're done. Um, I'm just being too lazy to actually throw them away because it's like annoying to try and throw away flowers. I love the idea of buying flowers. It's something mm-hmm. I might, I always like dream of doing for myself. And then I'm like, I don't deserve, I don't deserve something you like do. that. You do. I don't, Allison. Yes, no, you I just do. know I, they, yeah. I'd absolutely leave, leave them to rot. I, I definitely think I would. Um, yeah, and it's also problem. like you know, you're spending money, and then it's like you get like a week, maybe, and then it's like, what was that for? But they are nice to have around when they're alive. Um. Yeah. I. Um. It just adds a little something to your life. I just feel a like. little something. A little, a something. little joy. How are you doing? I'm good. Um. You know, just getting through the hottest part of. Uh, yeah. Of the summer, um, I'm I, I'm up in Studio City, which if you've ever been in um, the Valley, is the ten valley. degrees hotter than every other place. It's so hot in Los Angeles. So that's, it is that's so hot tough. in the Valley. Yeah. Well, other than that, I can't complain. Well, that's I would, but not I won't. bad. Yes, right. Always could. Um, so uh, let us begin. This is our yes. we're kicking off our haunted house month, and we're doing a. Um, a classic of the form. And I remember hearing about this story. So I'm just going to sort of a, a movie that is based on a true story, perhaps one of the most famous true horror mm. story, true mm. in quotation marks, horror yeah. stories. Um, and that is of course the Amityville horror. Now, have you, are you familiar at all with sort of the, the story around it, Allison? No, only like, I think that I did when you, as when you said it before we jumped on, like, I was like, oh, I feel like I did know that there was like some kind of truth to this, that there was something like in real life connected to like what this movie is about. But I don't know the specifics of either, but I'm familiar with like the title. Like, I feel like the title is very much a part of our culture, maybe because it's been used in like a, a treehouse of horror on the Simpsons once. Oh, and there are uh, there are so many Amityville horror movies. Like mm. there are, uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, like literally dozens. Are they remakes it, or like sequels? They're just sort of like um, playing on similar themes, but they're mm. not like a, a lot of them are like like um, there's um, Amityville in space, 
Witches of Amityville Academy, Amityville Vampire, um, Amityville Dollhouse. um, Yeah. Amityville 3D. um, What? 3D? And what what this is called, Amityville colon, it's about time. I'm hoping that has to do with time travel. It better. Truly dozens of um, films playing off of Amityville. Good Lord. Four Amityville movies came out in 2016 alone. Something must have happened with the rights so that it became like, you know, go for it, everybody. Oh, weird. Um, but well, if anyone has any Amityville movies besides the original let us that they want us to cover, please let us know. Otherwise, listen, we'll do this podcast forever, so we'll get to it eventually. Um, so basically, the it's based off of the book The Amityville Horror by author Jay Anson. It was published in 1977. Is the book fiction? The book is based off okay. of a the story that we will see in the film. And basically okay. what the story is is that um, uh, a family moved into a house after a brutal family annihilation-style series of murders. Mm. And they experienced sort of a month-long, what they said, haunting, being terrorized in the house before they fled. The story that is that the, their response to moving into this house the mm-hmm. murders are real and so the murders were committed in, in um November 1974 by Ronald DeFeo Jr. he shot and killed six members of his family in his home um he's 20 and he killed his parents and um all of his siblings uh, who were Jesus. um yeah who were 9 7 and 5 uh so yeah, unfortunately, um, uh, the the murders that sort of inspired the haunting rumors around the Amityville house are real. Okay. And when he went to trial, Ronald DeFeo Jr. sort of told a lot of different conflicting stories. Mm. And it's still not exactly clear. Like, unfortunately, I think we know now that these are, like, fi- family annihilation-style murders unfortunately do happen. Like, it's yeah. kind of rare for a child to kill their parents. Yeah, I feel like usually it's the one of the parents and often the father. Yeah. So so this was the oldest son, and, um, sorry, he had uh, two brothers. He killed his mother, father, two brothers, and two sisters. So um, he was sentenced, obviously, to life in prison, and he actually only died um, last March, March 2021. Whoa. And he um, told a lot of different stories. He did say, like, he heard voices in the house telling him that he, that this family was plotting against him. I kind of am inclined to think maybe that was, he did hear voices. Um, yes, I'm sure that there were voices that he was hearing that are more connected to yeah. mental illness than a haunted house. Yeah, and so he he tried to plead insanity, and there was a psychiatrist for the defense who's like, yeah, absolutely. He was also, um, he was a heroin and LSD user. He had, they think, a personality disorder. He had a lot of stuff that, and especially I imagine at the time of the 70s, there was not a lot of conversation around if somebody's mental health is really starting to break no. down. No. I can't imagine this guy, they no. would have been able to help him or flag Even five at years time. ago, we weren't really equipped to deal with that kind of thing in this country, let alone yeah. like 35 years ago. But then Robert came back and was like, oh, no, I didn't do it because the voices actually, uh, my sister Dawn killed uh, my father. And then in her grief, my mother killed all of his siblings. Which is so that he tried to stop her and killed his mother, which is a very like, do you remember um, Chris Watts? Like he killed his wife and children. And his excuse was, um, 
oh, I came home and she had killed the kid, so I had to kill her. It's like, I don't know who oh, told these murderers no, that anyone would believe anything. that. No, that's no not one, anything. No, no one's so buying that. The idea that, like, the sister killed a father, so the mother kills the other kid. It's like, no, no, no. one's buying that. I'm no. sorry. You did it, sir. Yeah, it makes no sense. And then he's just sort of, like, shifting around, you know, constantly. Like, he said he had a wife who didn't exist and a child that there's no evidence of. So, needless to say, um, the judge found him to be, uh, you know, someone perhaps who, who should be in uh, jail for a long time. I think so. And uh, after—so after he was, um, you know— put in prison, the house sort of was imbued with all of sort of the rumors around the murders. And again, we don't believe in ghosts. So my assumption is this family moves in. They know about this horrific story. Maybe the the family themselves were dealing with a lot of stress and like upheaval and maybe some Mm -hmm. dysfunction was going on there. So then they maybe did experience perhaps what felt like a haunting but yes. then you hear some of the stuff, the stuff that they experienced, including some stuff that is in the movie, where you're like, all right, well, that didn't happen. Like, okay, well, I can, I'm pretty yeah. sure it's right. like, like maybe something you else. Yeah, yeah. You've imagined that or like something has happened because that's not something that does or can happen. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, sure. The lights flicker and you hear footsteps and you're like, oh, it's a ghost. That I buy. Some yeah. of the stuff that happens in this is like, well, if that happened, we would know. Like, that would be proof yes. positive that ghosts, that, like, evil entities exist. Yes, you know? yes, yes. That makes sense. Um, so, um, but let us begin by ruining the actual movie. A lot of the details of which are true to the story of this family who moved into Amityville after the murders. Okay. And, of course, much like we've talked about in a lot of other movies where somebody moves into a haunted house or, like, sort of a previously inhabited evil space, they got a great deal. And it's like, I you mean, get a great deal. Did. That's a gorgeous house. Gorgeous house on Long Island on the lake. Ugh. What are you going to do? You're not going to buy it? You'd be I insane. want it now, knowing all those things. <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, please. I, I would move it in a second. In a heartbeat. So we always like to have Allison watch the trailer. And Allison, what are your thoughts about the trailer for the Amityville Horror? I mean, I love the house. I love the house. I'm on the house's side. I would buy that house. I want to live in that house. It's beautiful. I don't, how many people do you think would have had to be murdered in a house for you to be willing to be, for you to be like, I can't live here? I think two. Like, I think like if one person was murdered, I could like probably make it work. Mm -hmm. I think if it was like, we're getting into multiple people died either at once or over time, it's like, okay, well now I'm like, ah, like I know nothing will happen, but like why tempt fate? Um, I'm going to go with 20 people, and it wow. better have been all at once. Because if it's 20 over, like, 100 years, okay, that's just life. Like, people die at home all the time. You okay, know? well, like, are you saying murdered or died? I guess I feel like murdered, definitely. And if 20 people died under mysterious, mysterious. circumstances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but, I'm, like, over like over time, if a bunch of people died, I'd be like, yes, that's what happens in an old yeah. house. But, like, Mur- if 20 people were murdered over 100 years, I'd still yeah, be like, something's up with this space and what's going on with it. Right. If you were like, oh, 20 people died mysteriously choking to death on their beds or like falling down yes. the same flight yes. of stairs. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That would give me pause. Yeah. Um, but again, yeah. Stunning building, especially, at, I mean, in this era. And when they you find out how much that house costs. Oh, it's I'm 1979. not. That's the scariest. Uh, yeah. You're going to shit. Um 
So the movie takes place in 1975, but they shot it okay. in 1979. Okay. So all of the like factoids are about like this is wrong, and it's like that's such a narrow amount of time. Yes, four to years. Be like actually, the license plate. It's like that's not a gotcha. Like who cares? No. no. Um, we also take a baseline scary. So this is hard. How scary do you find the concept of a giant hog with glowing red eyes, Allison? Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, pretty scary. Okay, great. That's scary. Like, mm-hmm. also, like, hot, like, there's, they can get so vicious. And, They're like, already again, gigantic. Wild animals in general, yeah. like, even if you think it's been domesticated, like, look at Cujo. I mean, yeah. You know, it's like, they're, look, look at every animal we've met in any <laughs> horror movie. Like, it's just like, you don't know, you can't predict. They are wild animals and glowing right. red eyes. I mean, I never want to see that. Yeah, if it was a situation where, uh, like, a dachshund had glowing red eyes, I'd be perturbed, but oh. I could probably kick it like a football through the window yeah, and survive. Yeah, I wouldn't be, yes, I'd be like, somebody should call animal control, but I don't think that I would be fearing for my life. Yeah, a giant hog, I feel like, could eat your car or something. Like, they're so yes. big. Like, are, are there, I, hogs are terrifying. Yes. I remember, do you remember that tweet about someone being like, I need to have my 30 gun. 30 to what, 50 feral hogs. What would you do if 30 to 50 feral hogs suddenly showed up in your backyard? And it's like, well, yeah, yeah that would that would be bad. Yeah. Still I doesn't mean I would you should have an gun. assault rifle. <laughs> right. Also, like, that's not going to, st- like, you just, you could fire into 30 to 50 hogs. If they're coming for you. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Sorry. You did. Um, and then before we begin, Allison, would you like to guess the twist in the Amityville Horror the twist. I mean, it's tough since we know it's, like, slightly, like, connected to reality and a real thing. Um, I guess, like, maybe the people who live in the house... Well, because they moved in after, like, knowing that, like, this guy killed his whole family. Yeah, they move in one year later, but they have all the information. Right. I'm going to guess that he shows up again. Great. We love it. Okay, great. Um, so we begin, of course, with a creepy children's choir who says, la, 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 which is very 70s, like yes. the omen. Every movie had a creepy children's choir on retainer. Creepy children's choirs were cleaning up during that decade. <laughs> the and genre see, of the era. It's a dark and stormy night, Allison, and we see the outside of the Amityville house, and unfortunately we see the house light up from the inside with shotgun blasts. Ronald DeFeo Jr. is murdering his family inside. And I think, to me, this movie really speaks to what Candyman is also about, where it's like, it's something so horrific and so unimaginably, like, inexplicable that we have to create, like, there had to be an evil entity, There, it had to be haunted, he had to be possessed, like, there had to be some reason, mm-hmm. because what he did was so horrific, we we can't understand it. And that's mm-hmm. sort of what Can- Candyman's about, it's like, at least at the beginning, you know, uh, Helen presumes, well, this must be a legend to explain yes. these violent deaths in the community. Yes. But it's not real. Uh, much like this movie, in reality, is not real. And I, I'm, I'm happy to say that. Good. In the movie, unfortunately, um, it is. So, yes. um So we see that same night, the police arrive and their bodies are taken out of the home. This is November 13th, 1974, Amityville, Long Island. So all of those details are all accurate to the actual murder. Like the dates, like the specifics. And we see text on the screen, a mother, father, and four of their children murdered, dot, dot, dot. No apparent motive. Nothing is scarier than a motiveless death. 
And we meet up with Sergeant uh, Gianfrido and the coroner, and they discuss the murders. All of them were shot in the, their beds and execution style, and only the mother was shot in the head. And I'm like, then then what? Then it's like, that shouldn't even count as execution style. If you were just shot anywhere, like, come on, you know? No. And so the coroner says, I'm going to estimate the time of death at about 3 or 3.15. Okay. One year later, a new couple, George and Kathy Lutz, come to look at the Amityville house. The realtor, it's gorgeous. It's Stunning. on a lake. Ugh. There's a gardening hut. There's like the a little windows. boat house. Yeah. I mean, like, stunning a chandelier, and Ugh. the realtor's like, oh, and, like, the gardening hut could be upgraded into a guest house or an office. Like, it's in great shape. It looks like the house from Home Alone, actually. And the realtor's, like, really talking up. Obviously, it's been on the market for a year for a reason. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she's like, I, I got it. I could do this, you know. Inside, it is strangely dark, considering it's the middle of the day. And, but, you know, Kathy and George, like, are obsessed with it. Yes. The realtor kind of looks away, and they sort of pantomime to each other, like, oh, my God, there's a fireplace yeah. on a sun porch, like, freaking out. And this is going to be it's gonna be maxing out their budget, but they're like, we can't turn this down. Yeah, it's just too, yeah. too beautiful. And George is like, what, so we eat tuna casserole for a year? You know what I mean? Like, this is an investment. Like, we're yeah. going to be here, like, until the kids are grown. Let's do it. Um, and so I'm thinking, do they not know about the murders? Right. We're unclear yet. And so the realtor takes them upstairs to be like, oh, there's three bedrooms in addition to the master bedroom. And as they go to each bedroom, you see, like, um, Ronald DeFeo's hands lifting the shotgun and sort of ominous music plays. And you see him shooting children, his siblings. You don't need to see it. No, we know. We've already know. We've established. We saw they sh- at the beginning. It's like no you one see the shotgun light. Picture it. Like it's like we get. Yes. it. we know what it is. It's not like, huh? What kind of demon did what? It's like no one yeah. killed family members. Like we also, get it. we know that was five minutes ago. You know, right. like we already right. knew it. Right. We just heard this. We don't have to see it again. And like to see a child again, like this is uh, you know something that is not for everyone. And if you if you're sensitive to that, definitely do it. Watch this. It's that part's really horrible. And um, we do every room and we see every child get blown away with a shotgun. Like too much. And the realtor sort of like, I'll leave you to talk. I'll go downstairs. And, you know, Kathy's panicking, and she's like, honey, I mean, it's $80,000. I was like, it would be, it would be like $2 million, I, though, if we that. need to stop the podcast to do $80,000, $80, yeah. $80,000, like, for a whole house. And, and she says, I mean, $80,000, it might be, it might as well, it might as well be $800,000. It's like, oh, that house would be more than that. That house would be at least $2 million, if not more. And, and George is like, look, we could work it out. We could, it, it's, yes, it's more than we wanted to pay, but, like, what I, I could turn the gardening shed into my office, and so I could let my office go so I'm not paying rent on that. We take that money and put it towards the mortgage. And Kathy finally says, I just wish that all those people hadn't died here. Ugh, a guy kills his whole family? Doesn't that bother you? They know about the murders. They are, they're abreast. And they're kind of excited to take advantage of this incredible opportunity. Who wouldn't be? And George says, don't worry, houses don't have memories. But people do, and we're going to make some great memories in this house. Mm. Well, you're going to make some memories in this house, George. Memories will exist, but good is perhaps not the way. Uh, So at the end of the visit, they tell the realtor, let's do it. She's, of course, thrilled, like, finally to get it off her hands. 
they hug and drive off and the realtor stays behind to sort of like finish the paperwork and she's doing it on like the kitchen table and like a wind comes through and just starts blowing them off the table and she scoops them up and runs away. Of course, because there's no window open. It's just a wind inside the house. One month later, they're moving in with their children who are from Kathy's first marriage. It's Greg, Maddie, and Amy. And I'm really bad at, um, of course, children's ages, but they're all under 10. Amy's the youngest one. I'm going to say six. And then Greg and Maddie is seven, eight, nine in there. Like, not babies, not toddlers. Right. But not, not approach. They're still they're in elementary school. Kids. Real kids. And so um, George and Kathy are putting up um, wallpaper in the kitchen, and they're watching the kids through the windows because they are right on the lake. And they're just sort of like, I just want to make sure the kids are okay. And George says, you know, I'll feel more like their dad when they start calling me dad instead of George. So, you know, he's a stepfather. He is, like, very loving towards them. He's like, these are my kids. I want them to call me dad. But, of course, that's a it's a hard transition. And we don't know what happened to Kathy's first husband. First husband. Okay. We don't know if he's still alive, if they, he has a relationship with the kids. We don't see him. So I'm presuming he sort of left the situation. Okay. We also find out that Kathy is religious. She's Catholic. And um, George converted, but he's not really practicing. Like, he sort of does it because he loves her and is sort of, you know, just wanting to go along to get along. And she finds this beautiful crucifix, and George affixes it to the wall in the living room, and it sort of glistens in the light. It's very beautiful. Um, and they take a break from the wallpaper, and they get take each get a beer, and they go out to the sun porch and watch their children play with their dog, Harry, which was the name of the Lutz's actual dog. Why? <laughs> Just then, Allison, a priest arrives, Father Delaney. And this is a very 70s thing I will say in movies. is like everyone has really obvious eyeliner. And I think because this is an older <laughs> man, he doesn't have a ton of like visible. His, his eyelashes are very pale. Yeah. So he's just wearing like black eyeliner under his eyes. Like he's in like an emo band in like 2003. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a little, it's like Alice Cooper, but he's a priest. Sure. And oh, sure. That look. And so he lets himself in. He's like, George, Kathy, I'm here. Is anybody home? Allison, he hears children giggling in one of the upstairs bedrooms and he starts climbing the stairs. But when he opens the door, it's totally empty. He sees the family out on the yard and so he tries to open the window to call to them, but he can't get it to budge. And instead, Allison, we see these fat black flies start gathering on the, pl- on the pane and the bedroom door slams shut. Sort of Father Delaney sort of whips around Mm-hmm. But he's coming over to bless the house. So I guess he's like, I'm just going to do it here. You know, I'll just yeah, get started. Yeah, shit in and out. Yeah, yeah. so he takes out his priestly items sort of to, to prepare. And then he turns around again. There are dozens, if not hundreds of flies on the window, a swarm of them. And he starts praying, you know, God's peace in this house. He starts sweating bullets. He's wiping his face. It's incredibly hot in the room all of a sudden. And then he starts to cough violently as the flies start to no. fly over to him and congregate on his sweating face as he's, like, gagging and coughing. Meanwhile, the family doesn't even know he's there yet, and they take out George's, has a little boat, take it out on the lake for a spin. So they're having the time of their lives while a fucking priest gets fucking silently devoured by flies in their home. Ugh. Yeah, the flies are in the trailer, and it's, like, very upsetting to watch. I remember, because I read the book, like, I must have been a teenager, and the the sheer volume of flies in the book is really perturbing. No, I don't like it. 
Um, so, of course, you know, he's gagging, he's choking. Suddenly, else in the room's door swings open, and a demonic voice screams at Father Delaney, Get out! And he's able to stagger down the stairs to his car, where he, of course, throws up. Mm-hmm. That night, mm-hmm. Kathy calls the kids down for dinner, and Kathy and So George he just Prime, leaves without even, like, saying anything to them? And that's, I'll tell you, I will call it on now, that's a fatal mistake. Because it's yeah. like, you couldn't have left a note. You right. couldn't have... You're a priest. I think you probably believe even more than anyone else that, like, there could be something beyond, like, the realm that we currently yes. can see and interact with. Like, you might be aware that something is happening. Like, the flies, the coughing, the vomiting, the the voice. Like, you wouldn't be like, hey, I was in this room and it got real fucking weird in there. Uh, you just might want to check that out. Even just be like, hey, I stopped by, but you guys were on the boat, so I missed you. It'd be like, right. even to be like, right. acknowledge that, that I was there at here. all. Right. It's very... I, I completely agree. And they don't Rude, really explain honestly. why he did that. Like, obviously, he felt like he couldn't be in the house. He was sick. But I was like, you'd immediately get in contact would, with I don't you know. You'd be like, I came and this happened. And then people can, like, make decisions based on the information <laughs> they have. And we're going to see him again. So, you know, he's going to be a part of the film. But this in this moment, the fact that he just leaves, I don't understand it at all. It doesn't make any sense. But, you know, they they put Amy to bed. She falls asleep, falls asleep before dinner. But the other boys, they eat hot dogs. And George takes Amy up to her bedroom because she's already asleep to tuck her in. And she's sleeping in the room with the flies. And the window, which the priest was unable to get open, is now just standing open. And George shuts it. Finally, the, the phone rings and it's Father Delaney calling. It's hours later. He's still gagging to try to tell Kathy what happened. But the reception on the line is so bad that like, Kathy's like, can't tell who it is and just hangs up. Aye. Father Delaney then looks down at his palm, and it's covered in, I'm going to say it, monkey pox. Oh, no. And for a second, I was like, is it supposed to be the stigmata, maybe? But um, right. based on what I've seen, it's just sort of like raw blisters. But again, he's okay. having some sort of very physical, physical reaction, reaction to in the house. Yes. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, George joins Kathy, and he's sort of not exactly doing well. Like, he looks kind of sick, but... They've been moving and not sleeping and, like, everything's been in a, you know, sort of, he's been exhausted. So they both just sort of assume maybe he's coming down with something because he's he's so cold, Allison, and he's like, oh, it feels like it's 32, but the thermostat says 72. Kathy feels fine, but she says, you know, there is a draft that comes up from the basement, so maybe, like, just shut the door. We'll figure out how to insulate it. George goes down to check out the basement, down these creaky-ass, terrifying wooden steps. And so Matt, one of the boys, tries to follow him down only to fall down the stairs when the light bulb blows out. And George has to rush over and grab him, scoop him up before he hits the ground. And he's like, don't come down here. This is not safe. Puts them to bed. That night, Kathy is, um, in a way that only could have happened uh, in the 70s. Okay. Um, in, in, or in the, like, she's doing, like, dance exercises in. Sure. In panties, an open, like, flowy top, one leg warmer with a daisy in her hair. And that no. is how I think people dress in the 70s. That, like, that yes, seems that right. That sounds correct to me, historically. And just to have a visual, um, Kathy is played by Margot Kidder, and George is played by James Brolin. And they, do- they both look fabulous. Like, they yes. both have never been hotter in their lives. Gorgeous. So, you know. And they sort of have, like, a moment. It's like the parents in Poltergeist where it's like, well, 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 the the kids are asleep, you know? Right. And he's like, I'll take a shower. And she's like, no, no, I like the way you smell right now. And you're like, hey, maybe everything everything will be okay in this house. Yeah. 
Do some else fucking. and it will not. Oh. So they're they start to have sex and she's like, I really want this to work. I want to I I want to be the best. I don't want you to have any regrets about it. And they don't spell it out, which I kind of appreciate. But I'm assuming it's like, I don't want you to regret marrying me. I have three kids. I, you know, yes. like we have this big house and now like I see this kind of onerous mortgage. Like I want you to be happy. And he's like, I am totally happy. I love you. Like, I love your kids. Like I'm in, you know, I'm, I wanted, this is like what I want too. And so of course they started having sex. And as soon as they do, the door opens and it's no. just poor Amy. Like she's no. woken up. She's crying. And she's like, I want to go back to our old house. So you're like, Oh, that's, that's very sad. And, uh, Cassie takes her up back to bed. She goes over to the window. It's open again, Allison. And she shuts it. And I was like, how many flies do you think it would take to open a window if they work together, Allison? I mean, I think, like, less than we think it would be. And what what number would that be? I'm going to guess, like, 200. I was going to say 200. <gasps> oh, wow. Because I and feel I like, think you're right. like a lot of bugs, like ants are that way, where, like, they can lift, mm-hmm. like, 40 times their body weight or, like, something crazy <laughs> because they're, like— that's what they do. Um, right. They just choose flies, not to. They choose yeah. not to work together on one human or something. Yes, right. But like fly, yeah, I feel like flies similarly, you know. And also like how many times have you like hit a fly and it's been like, I'm fine. I'm still living. Like I'm going to bother you in your apartment still. So I think yeah. that they're pretty resilient and strong. Um, and Kathy comes back to bed. She's like, I'm sorry about that. You know, my kids, whatever, blah, blah. He's like, it's fine. Every couple since Adam and Eve had the same problem. These things happen. Allison, that night at 3.15 a.m., which, of course, is the time the murders happen, yes. George's eyes just shoot open. Hey, not great. He, he gets up, and he's walking through the house, and he hears whispering from Amy's room, and he opens the door. She's still asleep, and the window is open again, and he can see the boathouse door is loose and sort of banging in the breeze. And we turn and we see Amy's rocking chair now has a little doll in it that wasn't there earlier. And he's like, oh, that's... It's weird. She must have found a doll in one of the boxes or something. No. He takes Harry, no. Harry the dog, puts him on a leash, takes him down to the boathouse for protection. In case they're, like, getting robbed or somebody's, like, sneaking yeah. into the boathouse. Or even just, like, an animal. Yeah. But luckily, every, the coast is clear. He shuts the door, and he goes back to the living room, has a cigarette, and hears a terrible scream. It's just a black cat staring through the window at him, yowling. And much like in Paranormal Activity, this is fourth. We're keeping track of the days because the Lutz family was there 28 days. So we are tracking through the month. Okay. So um, this is the fourth day. It's a Thursday. Kathy arrives home with the groceries and calls to George to help her. But he's furiously chopping wood with an axe. And he's like too into it. Like he can't, he doesn't even hear her. He's drenched with sweat. There's split logs all around Demolishing wood. Yeah. She startles him and he yells at her, like, never startle a man with an axe. And she's like, could you help me with the groceries? Like, there's there's enough wood to heat the whole South Shore all winter. Like, I don't know how much wood you think you need, but we're good. Right. And he's like, oh, sorry. And he helps her with the groceries. And she tells him, okay, my Aunt Helena is going to stop by. And he's like, we're still asked even boxes. Like, we got to have people over already. And George is right about this. Like, I would not have my aunt over four days after moving into a house. Like, what are we doing? I would barely have, like, close friends over in that window of time. Like, it's still too just, like, stressful to be like, everything is not where it's supposed to be. And, like, you never, like, 
You're yeah. like, I can't even find the wine key, and we want to have some wine. Like, there's just, like, too much stress. And then, like, a family member, that's all judgment. Yeah. And but he, she's like, sorry, she's already coming over. I bought her the fancy tea she likes. And he's, he's like, okay, I'm just going to be, I'll let you guys visit. I'm going to go do putter around or whatever. Yeah. He stops off, only for Kathy to start smelling this horrible odor. And she's trying to she's trying to find where it's coming from. And she turns around, and Amy is standing right there. And in this movie, Amy is constantly right there behind people. Hey, kids. And Amy says, my friend Jody and I are going to play upstairs. Ain't that right, Jody? And then she looks up as if at an imaginary friend, an imaginary friend that is 12 feet tall. But Kathy's like, okay, cool. Go play with your imaginary, fr- imaginary friend. Right. I don't, thanks, thanks, Jody. Have fun. You know, right. doesn't think anything of it. Kathy finally calls to check in on Father Delaney, who was supposed to stop by. She, at least she knew that he was coming over, and he never did. She gets Father Bolin, and he's like, oh, I'm so sorry Father Delaney is so sick with the flu. And Kathy's like, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. You know, he was supposed to come by and bless the house, but I didn't realize he was unwell. And Father Bolin said, oh, he did stop by. But Kathy's like, I didn't see him. Like, I, I don't think so. So they hang up, and Father Bolin looks over, and Father Delaney's, like, sick, sick, like, passed out in bed. Yeah. So now Father Bolin's like, well, what happened then? If he went right. there and he came back so sick, like, what the fuck was going on? Mold? No. <laughs> Black mold? Black mold. Um, Aunt Helena shows up. Allison, she is a nun. There are so many clergy members in this movie. What? Like, I is guess, it like, all the religious members of, like, Long Island part of this? I mean, I guess it's, like, probably pretty Catholic between, yeah, like, Italians right. and and um, more Italians. Yeah, so Italians. So I'm assuming that's, yes. that's you know, and it, it implies that at least um, Kathy is from the area because, like, her aunt lives there. We're going to meet some of her family members. They go to a family wedding in a little bit. So she's clearly okay. from Long Island. So it's like, okay, sure. And back then there were more nuns and priests. We, you know, it was a numbers game, I suppose. Aunt Helena shows up, Allison, and right before she walks in the door, Kathy finds the source of the foul odor, and okay. Matt and Greg are at the door of the bathroom, like, screaming, disgusted. Both of the toilets are overflowing with putrid black ooze. Oh, like, even, like, obviously that is something that can and does happen <laughs> in reality, and even yeah. knowing how that happened, like, whatever, your septic tank has backed up because there's been flooding in the air. Whatever, like, logical thing has happened, it is still... Horrific. And, like, that's one of the downfalls of homeownership. It's like, if this happened in an apartment, it would suck. But at least you can call someone and they're obligated to fix it. You own a home, who knows what you're going to have to do? You might have to replace all the pipes. You know, you might have to get, like, new toilets. And that just falls to you. And, like, that's, you know, you own the home, but, like, who knows how much money you're going to have to put into it. Yes. Um, And Kathy says to Matt and Greg, like, go downstairs and let your Aunt Helen in. And they're like, we don't like her because she just pinches our cheeks so hard. She's like, I don't give a fuck. Look at the toilet. So they run down. <laughs> Look at the toilet. <laughs> and they let her in. And, of course, Aunt Helena, like, pinches both of their cheeks. Again, why was that a thing? I don't know. Don't touch kids. And they're like, oh, our mom and dad are upstairs. But they'll, our mom and stepdad are upstairs. They'll be down in a minute. And they run off to play outside. Aunt Helena, like, turns and looks into the house. And her face falls. Because she's immediately stricken by, of course, whatever evil force is yes, in the house. That the priest exactly could identify. Right. As, I guess as holier people, they're more sensitive to evil. And Obviously. She's, she's bringing a geranium, and she drops the plant. And it's like, I, I feel horrible. Kathy comes down, and, and Aunt Helena says, like, I have to leave immediately. I have to go. 
And Kelly's like, no, 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 sit down. I make you tea. Like, don't drive if you're not feeling well. But Aunt Helena hauls ass out of the house, peels away in her car only to stop and open the door and violently, loudly vomit on the side of the road. Like, like, what? This is the second clergy member we've seen vomit in this movie so far. High numbers. Allison, we're at the fifth night, Friday. George builds a fire and stares into it, glassy-eyed, shivering and freezing. Kathy finds him and is like, you want to come into bed and I'll warm you up instead of, you know, just acting weird in our new home. And George says, no, I don't want to catch cold. It's so cold in here. I need to stay healthy for your brother's wedding. And Kathy's like, well, how about you sleep in tomorrow? You know, just, like, relax. And, like, if you're feeling unwell, like, just don't worry about it. Yeah. And he's like, I have work to do. I don't want to be up to my ass in boxes forever. Okay. Which is a very real moment. <laughs> you're like, no, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. That's that uh, complete, not a stretch. Like, I'm I'm there. I get it. I'm, I'm an, I understand. <laughs> Um, once in bed, George is like, I'm sorry, I don't know why I'm feeling so weird and on edge. And she's like, don't push yourself. Like, you don't have to prove anything to me. Like, moving sucks. Like, this was hard. Like, I don't know. Like, it's just like a new place. You're allowed to just feel bad. Like, we'll get through it. And he's like, yeah, you're right. Unfortunately, Allison, at 3.15 a.m., Kathy wakes up screaming she was shot in the head. What? And, of course, George bolts up, but then Kathy falls back to her, down to her pillow. She's still asleep. Allison, at this point in the film, what would you do? What would you do? I mean, I'm not staying in that house anymore. Yeah. Like, even separate from, like, you knew there were murders there. Like, if that if that was what was, like, if it was just, like, the toilets overflowed, the kids are being a little spooky— Hmm. And a horrifying dream, and we knew the murders had happened. I'd be like, you know what? It's fine. We can we could get through this. These, yeah, like the clergy members getting so sick and the like horrific <laughs> they're sensing there. I'm like that plus the other stuff plus the murders. It's time to go. I am sure. Like, yeah. go get a three bedroom condo in a affordable area and, like, wait out your real estate dreams. This ain't it. I also feel like if you know or have family members who are clergy and multiple clergy members come to your house and just start vomiting, I don't know what clearer sign you can possibly get. I really don't. take away that there are clergy members, if people who don't (laughs) live in the house come to the house and start vomiting, something's wrong with the house. Yeah, Even at, like, a viral or a bacterial level. Yeah, exactly. It's like what it could be like. It's like there's a gas leak. There is mold. Right. There's, there's some, mold. There's an animal something going on. Like yeah. whatever it is. It's like it's, st- it's yes. still not like you should stay there. Right, exactly. There's a bat there. It's giving people rabies. You know, it could be anything. Um, and also, as we were about to find out, like there, I mean, obviously you don't want to leave a house. You spent all this money. You sort of are like house poor now. Kathy has family in Long Island. And I got to think, if you tell anyone on Long Island, hey, a priest and a nun came over our house and started vomiting because it was so evil, they'd let you stay there for a while. Absolutely. Like, I, I just think they have people around them that could offer them that. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. 
From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. So now we're on the sixth day, Allison. It's Saturday. And Father Bolin is driving Father Delaney, who's still pretty sick, to the Amityville house. And Father Bolin's like, why, why not just wait till you were better? Like, why do we have to rush out there? And he's like, I don't know why, but I have to go back to the house. And every time I call, the line is so staticky, I can't even tell Kathy what happened to me. Oh, my God. Allison, suddenly Father Bolin screams, the steering! And the car wrenches to one side, out of his control, and they veer off the road. The hood pops up so they can't even see, and they crash into a sign. Okay. They're both okay. They're just okay. terrified. And Father Delaney sees, of course, a big fat fly crawling on the windshield. So mm-hmm. they don't make it out there. They don't make it to Amityville. Finally, it is you know, the day of the wedding has arrived. Matt and Greg are like tying cans to the back of their uncle's car. And Kathy's brother, Jimmy, is they're using like their house as like the place for him to get ready, which is insane because they are just moving in still. It's like, I, they, get a hotel room. Like, I do mean, it at someone else's house. Like, why, why are we there? overcomplicating all of this? Yeah. And Jimmy, uh, who's a real sweetheart, but he's panicking because he has to bring $1,500 in cash to give the caterers. And he's nervously counting it over and over again. He's, like, so paranoid about forgetting it. Obviously, he's putting all his wedding jitters into this money. This is another real detail from the story is uh, what's going to happen to the $1,500. And, you know, George walks in. He's got a tux. He's the best man. But both Jimmy and Kathy are like, you look like absolute shit, George. Like, I don't know if you should go to the wedding. Right. He's, like, you know, red-eyed, wet. Like, he looks like he has food poisoning. He's like, no, no, I got I got to do it on the best van. I'm going to to be there for you. So both he and Amy, who again are asleep in the fly room, are getting sick. Oh, the fly room. Yes. The room with all the flies. So uh, Amy's going to stay there with the babysitter, Jackie. And then George and Kathy are going to take Max and George and drive Jimmy over. So they're, they're all going except for Amy and the babysitter will stay. And she's like, should I give her aspirin? It's like, yeah, just give her aspirin before bed. Just like it's important for her to sleep. Like she should be fine. Allison, they go to leave. The $1,500 in cash is gone. We've seen Jimmy count it. It was in his coat. He freaks out, of course. Like, it's like, oh, no, I'm going to fuck up our wedding. And they tear apart the living room looking for it. It's not there. George, again, he's very sick, but he's like, I'll write write a check. He's like, no, the caterer said it had to be cash. He's like, it's fine. I'll write a check. And they're like, okay, we'll we'll go over. Okay. And it's also like George is already on edge because he's sick. And now Jimmy's freaking out. And yes. Kathy's like, we got to go. So it's like they're arguing. And like it's like the hostile, you know, sort of moment. And it's funny. It's like the evil entity is like, I'm going to try to murder two t- priests. And then also I will stiff the caterers. Yes. <laughs> like right. I will gain control of the car. And also I, you're, the caterers going to be mad because they have to take a check. Right. Yes. Right. They're going to have to like wait several days for that check to process instead of just having cash in hand for the payment. And I guess back then, like, a check was, like, a bigger, like, it's like, oh, no, but someone could cancel the right, check. Right, you could, like, take like, a picture of a check with your phone. Yeah. <laughs> it was more of a hassle. So I'm like, I guess I understand why they wanted cash. You had to go to the bank. 
But George is like, I'm sure it's in the house. We have not left the house. I'm sure it just fell somewhere. Yeah. I'll write the check, and then we'll come back t- tonight, and I'll find it. It'll be fine. Don't worry, Jimmy. I'm, I got you. So they head off to the wedding, and Jackie, the babysitter, again, shuts the window in Amy's room, which is constantly coming over. And Amy's like, I don't want to go to sleep. I want to play with my friend Jody. I'm not even sick. Jackie says, I, this is what your parents said. I'm going to get your pajamas, and you're going to go to bed because you're not feeling well. Jackie goes into the closet to get her PJs. The door slams shut. J- Jackie immediately starts panicking, banging her knuckles on the door Obviously. so hard they start bleeding. Okay. Freaking out while Amy sits staring, watching the door. And Amy suddenly the, is a scary yeah. kid. Amy is the only one who's not perturbed by what's going on, which makes it scary. It's like, why, don't, why are you freaked out what's going on here? Yeah, when a kid isn't freaked out by an yeah. obviously freaky situation, it's like, oh, well, you're the problem now. And I think it's like, even like her her brothers are like, at least they're screaming at the toilet. Like, they're at least like, whoa, what is that? Why does it stink? Like, they... She's not even reacting to those kinds of things like a kid would have a normal reaction right, to. Right, yeah. Kids are like, yeah, gross. Like, yeah. Or like, she's cool, like, gross. She's just like, my friend Jody and I want to play. Suddenly, the light Jody's goes on the closet. Can't see her. <laughs> she's very tall, and well, I won't say exactly what she is, but she's not a person, per se. Suddenly, the light in the closet goes out. Jackie screams and just tries to force the door open. It's locked. Over at the wedding, everyone's dancing, but Kathy's kind of getting more worried because George is really not doing well. He's sweating. He looks sick. And Helena comes over, or she's at the wedding. She's like, I'm so sorry I bolted the other day. Like, I just felt suddenly so sick. And Kathy's like, you know what? George and Amy have a flu. Everyone must, there must be a flu going around. You probably were just feeling the same thing. What Aunt Helena and the priest don't immediately say, which seems obvious to us, is like, it's they're experiencing something that's not just sickness. Like they yes. are compelled yes. to run from the house. So say that part. It's not like, oh, I threw up. That's important. Right. But your terror is yes. is more helpful to to Kathy in this moment, you know? Yes, 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 yes. Meanwhile, George is like in the bathroom putting cold water in his face, trying to make it through reception. And the caterer follows him and is like, I was promised cash. I'm not taking a check. A check isn't cash. Cash is cash. And George turns to him like eyes wide and red, soaking wet, clearly so sick. And it's like, you'll take a fucking check or you can eat all your goddamn food. And the caterer's like, oh, okay. okay. And this is the first time like George has been very mild mannered. He's great with the kids. He's very much like, hey, whatever. He's very thoughtful. And he just like screams at the caterer in front of Kathy. And George says, reasonably enough, I can't get through the reception. I'm too sick. And she's like, of course. So they round up the boys and they head home. Okay. As soon as they get home, they hear Jackie screaming in the closet upstairs, run up there. And she's like, they pry the door open and they're like, the door's locked. I couldn't get out. Allison, there's no lock on the door. Okay. There's, there's no what way she was What are we still doing in. in the house? Get out I, of the house. Get out of the house. And Jackie's, uh, Jackie screams at Amy, who's a child still, to be fair. It's like, why didn't you open the door? And Kathy said, yeah, why, why wouldn't you open the door, Amy? And Amy says, my friend Jody wouldn't let me. George is not only sick, but he's like at his wit's end. And he's like, everybody go to bed. He yells at the boys to go to bed. He yells at Amy for not opening the door. He yells at Kathy, your kids need some discipline. And he storms out. And Amy says, George yelled at me, which he's never done. We've never seen him do that. Right. And Kathy's like, well, you should have opened the door. And she storms out. And Amy, after they both leave, says, Jody doesn't like George and smiles. Jody. 
Meanwhile, George, who's in a fugue state, goes down and he tears apart the living room looking for the $1,500. Right. $1,500. And instead he finds the little cardboard ring that holds the stack of money together. No money. And he screams, where is it? And they never find it. Do ghosts take money? I, that's, that's what I think. It's like, what would a ghost do with money? Like, do they? Right, they can't use it. We don't know this. They're not, like, going to go to the store. I, I genuinely don't know. Like, if they can take something from a store, they're not going to be like, better pay for this. Like, I'm a ghost. But I guess you yeah. would take money to, like, fuck with a human. Yeah, I think it's simply to drive them to the brink of madness. Because yes. I guess, it's sort of like the vulnerability of the family seems yes. like allows the ghost to become stronger or like the entity to like gain more control. Like as George and Kathy and the kids start to get driven from each other. Yeah. It seems like these, it becomes stronger in the house. I don't know, but that seems to be what we're going for. Um, so now we're on the eighth day, Monday, and we hear Father Delaney is meeting with sort of his supervisors along with um, Father Bolin. And we hear Father Nuncio's like, listen, Father Delaney, there's an explanation for all of it. We're not in the habit of blaming Satan for everything. And Father Ryan, who's kind of like more of the asshole priest mm-hmm. who's in charge, is like, sure. you're a modernist, Father Delaney. Don't you think you're sounding a little medieval, saying there's evil in the house? And Father Delaney is screaming. Like, he's at a 11. And he's like, at the trial, Ronald DeFeo Jr. said it, that the voice in the house told him to kill. And I heard a voice in that house, and I felt a presence in that house. Then I'm not going to turn my back on that. Okay. Fa- Father Ryan says... Reasonably enough, you know, half the killers in this country blame hearing voices. Okay, are we going to believe all of them? Father Delaney says, well, what about my hand? What about the car? Uh, Father Bolin was driving the car, and they turned in, and Father Bolin's like, well, I mean, there was a problem with the steering, but I don't know if it was, like, supernatural, you know? And so Father Ryan and Nucio are like, you're making this up. You're, maybe you're exhausted. And Father Delaney goes off. He's like, I am a trained psychotherapist. I went into that house. And what I saw there was real. What I felt there was real. And what I heard there was real. Now, gentlemen, I have a family in my parish that's at great risk. And Nuzio shows back like, how dare you? You think your secular training gives you permission to question the church? Sit down. And because he's a priest, like, he can't do anything without the the church's permission. Hmm. So he sits down. He tries to plead with them. Like, I really think the family's in danger. They need the church right now. We need to intervene. And Father Ryan says kind of smugly, like, well, how long has it been since you've seen your family? Like, we think that you should take a vacation. Relax, okay? And as they leave, Father Nuncio looks back and says, like, the bitch he is, you could also do with a haircut and a shave. And it's like, okay. Excuse me. First of all, his eyeliner looks fabulous. He he clearly gets up early and does his face. (laughs) But basically, he's like, Father Delaney's like, I think that there needs to be— You look like be- a mess. You're losing it. This is not— Yeah. Okay. Meanwhile, Father Delaney's like, I, I don't know if there needs to be an exorcism or there's something— I need to intervene because something is in that house. And unfortunately, we'll see in the movie, every time he tries to get close to intervening, something stops him. Okay. So now we're in the 11th day Thursday, and George's business partner, Jeff, arrives with his wife, Carolyn, for like a surprise visit. Surprise visit, a.k.a. George has not been going to work— f- for this week. So it's sort of like, let's stop in and see what's going on with George. Carolyn immediately feels fucked up and does not want to go in the house. And she insists on uh, waiting in the car. And we're to understand Carolyn is like very sensitive. Like she's not like a priest or anything, but she's very sensitive to the vibes. Yeah. So she's like, you can go in. I'm not going in. Jeff visits with George, who once again is cutting wood with an axe 
hours. He's out there for hours hacking with his axe. axe. And then we see him sharpening the axe, like, to, a, like, a fine point over and over again, sharpening his axe. Just like, okay, look, um, I drove out here because your house line is always busy and I, or I can't get through. Um, you haven't come to the office in days. I brought the payroll forms because you have to sign them like you sign them every month. Um, and George's like, George isn't even replying. He's just sharpening the blade. Jeff's like, also, um, the IRS is calling. Like, we have to submit a bunch of forms. And there's also a caterer who keeps come, calling. And George screams, don't you have any good news? And Jeff's like, I brought the spotlight for your boat and I can help you put it on. George is like, okay, that sounds fun. That's something. So they go to walk down to the water, and George, who again is like red-eyed, exhausted, turns, and he tomahawks the axe, throws it suddenly into a tree out of nowhere. And it's like, oh, no. Like, he is no. unfortunately starting to spiral. Really lose it. Um, upstairs, uh, Matt and Greg are lowering a fake spider from the second floor window onto Amy's head to tease her. And she's like, okay, all right. She's like, I'm six. I'm not stupid. I know it's not real. Right. Kathy walks in and be like, please stop teasing your sister. Just that the open window falls onto Greg's hand, spraying blood everywhere. George and Jeff hear the screaming. They run inside, and together, the adults can barely open the window as his poor hand is, like, gushing blood. They uh, take George to the ER, and fortunately, he's, like, very sad, but none of the bones were broken in his hand, which Kathy found very strange. Like, the way he was injured, it was like, how was it not broken? Well, I'm not a doctor. That night, a huge storm rolls in, and Kathy's trying to talk to George, but he's pretending to be asleep, and then actually does fall asleep. And at 3.15 a.m., of course, he snaps awake to the sound of flies, and he follows them into one of the spare rooms, hundreds if not thousands of flies covering the pane. And he tries to open the window to like get them out, but of course he can't open the window. Mm-hmm. Allison, all of a sudden there's a huge cracking sound and the front door exploded off its hinges from the inside. No, that's not something that happens. Kathy and George run downstairs. It's just dangling off its hinges. Like a tremendous force would have to be applied to it. And Amy appears behind them, and George's like, don't sneak up on me! He tells Kathy to call the police, and he goes back upstairs. As soon as he gets back upstairs, there are no flies, and he's able to open the window, and it's totally easy. Okay. The police arrive. with this house. Exactly. The police arrive. In addition to, like, the regular cops, Sergeant Gianfrido shows up as well. Of course, he was there for the murders. He's interested in this house. The cops are like, Sarge, what are you doing out here? And he says, insomnia. And when Sergeant Gianfrido sees George, he gasps at the sight of him. And, of course, we'll find out a little in a little bit why. George tells him it's not just the front door. The basement door was also blown off its hinges from the inside. Okay. And poor Harry the dog is in the basement, which is a surprise to George. He's like, you were, I thought you were outside. He's clawing at the foundation stones over and over again, growling as if there's something underneath the house. Mm. And Sergeant's like, are you related to the family who lived here before? Have you had any vandals or trespassers? It looks like the doors are broken out from the inside, so I'm trying to understand how this happened. And he's like, what are you implying? Like, I, we, I don't have an explanation for this. Like, this is, you have as much information as I have. And yes, we know about sure. the murders, but I don't see how this is connected. Right. I don't believe in the supernatural, of course. Obviously. The sergeant says, okay, well, we're going to, the cops are going to keep a tighter watch on your house, and we're going to, you know, write this up, but if you see anything else, if you have any hints of who could have done this, please let us know. Mm-hmm. 
And both George and Kathy go and sit on the porch in front of the broken door, and Kathy just starts sobbing. And she's like, why is this happening? Like, why is this all going wrong? And out on the road, the sergeant watches them, his cigar glowing, and he sort of watches the house all night. Day 12. Amy tells Kathy, Jody told me about the little boy who died in my room. And Kathy's like, who the fuck told you about that? And who t- what else did Jody tell you? Yeah, Jody's full of information. And she said, Jody says she wants me to live with her and stay here forever and ever. Mm, That's Jody. a little presumptuous, Jody. George, who again looks like death warmed over, hops on his motorcycle and goes into town. And he's tailed by the sergeant. And he finds some blueprints for the house. And then he goes to the library. He's doing his research, which okay. we like to see. I he goes to his local library. And of course, they have books about hauntings and the occult, of course. And in a weird move, I guess it's like he didn't have a library card yet. He just puts it into his waistband and sneaks out. I was like, the point of the They're library free. is you can take it out, right. dude. Borrow it and bring it back. Meanwhile, Kathy, who's so distraught after hearing Amy say this, calls Father Delaney just to, like, talk to somebody, like, you know, just, like, so scared about what's happening. Of course, um, Father, uh, he, he answers, but she can't hear it. The phone is overcome with static And Father Delaney, once again, starts choking and gasping, unable to speak. And finally, Kathy hangs up and she starts praying. And a wind blows through the house from nowhere. In a very weird little moment that, like, doesn't connect to anything else, there's a knock at the door. And it's just a neighbor who has, like, eye bags and it's, like, weird sniffle. And he's holding a six-pack. And he's like, oh, hey, Um, all the neighbors wanted to come say hi. Mind if I come in? What? The phone rings. It's it's probably Father Delaney calling back. Kathy answers, but it's just static. And by the time she goes back to the door, the neighbor's gone. To me, that's like a that's a real detail. But that's the one detail I'm like, yes. that probably was just some guy. Like, I don't, it's like. Yeah, I don't think that he's like connected to whatever is going on <laughs> yeah. with this house. But I do feel like that's a weird guy who's around who stopped by. Absolutely. So just funny where it's like, I don't think the ghost took $1,500. And I don't think this guy was. The, like, who brought you a six-pack was the ghost. The ghost, but yeah. I guess it's just like, this is all the stuff that happened that There's month, so like, they just assume. Yes. Yeah. It's hard to separate, like, what's connected to the haunting of this house versus what's just, like, living on Long Island. And Oh, exactly, yeah. Um, so George goes to a, ball, a bar called Witch's Brew to meet Jeff, who's trying to sit down and have, like, a real conversation, just sort of, like, George seems like his mental state is starting to decline. Jeff's trying to be like, where are you at? How's it going? The bartender comes over with beers, and when George looks up, the bartender gasps and drops the beers. And he's like, I'm so sorry, but you look exactly like that guy who killed his family. You know, he was sitting at his seat right there where you were when he was arrested for the murders. And George's like, okay, I'm going to head out of here. And Jeff says, what is happening? Like, what is going on? And I looked it up, and apparently the uh, Ronald DeFeo Jr. was arrested in a bar. It was called Henry's Bar. But— they're using that, you know, as a sim. The scenario is exactly the same. So he's saying, like, you look exactly like that guy, and here you are in the exact same chair, drawing another connection. Jeff, meanwhile, is like, the business is going to fall apart without you. I feel like you've abandoned me. You marry a woman with all these kids. You change religions for her. You take on a huge mortgage that you cannot pay, and you're clearly fucking hitting a wall, and you're forgetting out the business. George stands up and just punches Jeff off his bar stool. <laughs> I like that. And when Jeff hits the ground, he goes, hey, can we, like, have a real talk now, now that you've got that out of your system? And George helps him up. He's like, I'm sorry. You're right. And so they talk. And I was like, that's a very good friend. You shouldn't punch your friend. But Jeff is like, 
I can tell you're having some sort of mental health crisis. So, hey, you punch me, we can keep talking after that. So they start having a conversation. At the end, at home, Kathy sees Amy singing uh, to herself, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so, to her good friend, Jody. Mm-hmm. And when, it was, when her mom walks in, Amy's like, you just scared Jody out the window. And Kathy sees the windows open. She's like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shut it, and Jody could stay out there tonight. Allison, when she shuts the window, she sees a pair of glowing red piggy little eyes looking back yeah. at her. And then they they blink out. Second floor or first floor? They are unfortunately on the second floor. Not great. And Allison, I got to ask at this point in the film, who's going to survive? Who will survive? I mean, I don't think anybody who lives in this house is making it out. I'm going to guess the whole family dies. Okay. I'm going to guess the sergeant lives and somehow tries to figure out what the fuck happened. And then how about Jeff and Carolyn? How do you think we're gonna they're gonna make it? Uh yes. Okay, great. And what about Harry the dog? Oh, probably not. Okay. Maybe he'll run off and it's like TBD. Great. Like, yeah, his, yeah, the sequels are all about his adventures. <laughs> oh, I would love that. I mean Amityville dog. Amityville dog show. I mean, that's honestly that's where we're at with it. That's, I mean, if they went to space, they could go to Westminster. <laughs> Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. So still at the bar, um, George uh, shows Jeff and his wife, Carolyn, who's joined them, the book he took from the library. And it seems to be about haunted houses, but maybe specifically his house. I am very unclear. It has all this information. I'm like, what's the title of this book? How, how did you find it? And he's like, these are all the symptoms of a haunting that we're having, like flies, doors opening, closing, t- constant mishaps, everyone getting sick in the house. And Carolyn's like, oh, my God, you know, actually, I'm very familiar with this area. And right where you live, this guy, John Ketchum, built his house, you know, centuries ago. They ran him out of Salem for being a witch. And he built a house exactly where you're living. Um, she says, devil worship, death, sacrifice. And it's like, Carolyn, this was information that would have been useful yesterday. Yes. Yes. Like, I guess you just yes. didn't think of it when she actually visited the house. But she's like, oh, my right. God, that's so crazy. And then she's like, well, you know, energy can't be created or destroyed, you know? And not everything can be explained with a slide rule. It's like, okay. I don't think that means a demon is terrorizing them, but okay. Yeah, there, no. There's a, she's making quite a leap. And Jeff is like, okay, can I offer a rational suggestion? He's like, let's go home. You get cleaned up. You and Kathy go out to dinner. Have a moment. We'll watch the kids. Then when you guys can, get come back, the four of us would sort of talk about the business and be like, how do we make a plan for 
George's mental health. Jeff was being a great friend and business partner and being like, well, both couples will work something out and we'll figure this out. George, don't worry. And George gives him like this strange, scary little grin and says, yeah. I hate a spooky smile. Let's go home. So then he hops on his motorcycle and drives off and Jeff and Carolyn follow. And he says, wait out here for a minute um, and I'm going to tell Kathy the plan. Um, And you guys could come in about five minutes. Carolyn is immediately almost like hypnotized by the house because she's very sensitive to the vibes. And she's like, I can tell even from out here, the basement is where it's coming from. Inside, George is sort of giving her like, let's, okay, we're going out to dinner. Jeff and Carolyn can watch the kids. And Kathy's like, I saw it. It had glowing eyes. It was on the second story. Like something happened you didn't even fucking know about. It's like, I don't want to go to dinner a fucking pig was out of, floating outside her house. Like, what no, are you talking about? No, no, not a second story pig. And, uh, you know, and so George is like, okay, it's hard for me to argue with this. Meanwhile, Carolyn and Jeff go into the basement. And Carolyn is like, all of a sudden has all this information that she's spilling. That I'm like, Carolyn, again, would have been helpful to tell them a little earlier. She says, you know, demons are smart. They're as smart as humans. Then she informs it, okay, there wasn't just a, a Satanist witch in the area. She says there was a tribe in this area called the Sinecox, and they used his land as an exposure pen. They put all the crazy people here and left them here to die. So we've got Satanists and uh, Native Americans using the phrase exposure pen, which is not something I've ever, is that no, a phrase? Tell I've you never what that heard is. that. And the implication they round up all the crazy people in the tribe and left them here to die, it's like, Let's not bring the Native Americans into this. Like, we already set up a Satanist. Like, why are we adding? Yeah, we don't it's a need hat on a to. Hat. Yes. And it's like, Carolyn is a real Long Island historian, but only for history that she completely made up on the ride over. Yes. I was like, they, none of this can be true. No. And so they find Harry the dog, again, in the basement, clawing at the bricks of the foundation, clawing so much that his paws are bleeding. No, and buddy. Jeff goes over, he's like, oh, poor guy. And he's wiping off the paws. In a moment of distraction, Carolyn's like, there are people buried here. Carolyn picks up a fucking pickaxe from, like, all the all of George's uh, equipment that he threw in the basement. And she starts hacking into the wall. And, of course, George and Kathy rush down, and they're like, what the fuck are you doing? This is our house. And Carolyn says, this is a false wall. There's something behind here. And George examines it and realizes, yeah, you're right. So then he grabs a pickaxe, and he breaks down the no. wall, revealing a bright red room. And as George looks in horrified, we see, I'm assuming only he sees it, but he sees the image of a man who looks similar to him. It's Ronald DeFeo Jr. His face appears to George. Of course. And interestingly, they had James Brolin's actual brother play that character, which I thought was fun. that's fun casting. And, And then it disappears, and George is sort of like back in his body. Unfortunately, Carolyn starts like gagging and gasping like the priest did and starts speaking in Father Delaney's voice, screaming, Find a well. <laughs> it's the passage to hell. <laughs> and she screams. And we cut to back at the, uh, you know, rectory. Right. Father Delaney is also grabbing his head and screaming. Whoa, okay. And that, to me, unfortunately, we've established, like, even if he were to tell his supervisors or Father Bolin, they think that he's also having a mental breakdown. So, to me, this, in reality, would yeah. be like, oh, I started screaming. 
in like I was having an experience where like I was connected to someone else in a different place and I was forced to scream. That would be evidence that of what I was arguing earlier, which mm, is his mm-hmm. family needs help. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Father Delaney's phone rings, but of course he's gagging, he's choking. And upstairs, Kathy is freaking out and she notices that her crucifix is now upside down. Hate to say it. Henry is guarding the red room like a good dog that he is. For some reason, and they don't address it, Jeff and Carolyn go home. I think in reality they would have stayed. even Or even a moment of Carolyn being like, I gotta get out of this house. Fine. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're just gone. And I'm like, that just, I, they, it, Jeff was so in it to help. I don't think they would have bailed. But again, they probably just like, we have to get to the meat of the, the horror, you know. Luckily, there's still one person who's going to show up, and it's Sergeant Gianfrido, who is still sitting outside, you know, watching the house. And as he watches, he sees George and Kathy take the crucifix off the wall and carry it from room to room, praying, you know, asking God to bless the house. Unfortunately, George drops the crucifix, and when Kathy goes to pick it up, she's immediately covered in terrible blisters, including her face. Day 17, Wednesday. on 17? Why the fuck are they still in this house? This, it, like, they've been over there two weeks, and this two is and going a, on. Yeah, it's two and a half weeks, and all of this has happened. Like, at least, like, get out of the house for a minute and, like, see if some problems start to resolve. Like, see if anybody is returning to normal. See if, like, you're feeling, be- like, if it's yeah. centered on the house or if, like, there's something else going on and you're really having a mental break. But, like, get out of that house. Like, also, or, like, if, even if you feel like you have to stay, send your kids to go stay with your brother's family. Or yes. with Jeff and Carolyn, they agree, like, already offered to watch them for an evening. Be like, okay, for the next couple days, the kids are going to stay with you so we can try to figure this out. I don't know why you wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. However, you know, back at the church, Father Bolin, who it's like, you, the car in your command w- was driven off the road by some sort of evil force, so I don't know why you're not on board with it. No. But he also thinks, like, Father Delaney is, like, unwell, so he's like, you know, you helped me a lot when I came back from Vietnam, and I think that we create demons in our own mind. And Father Delaney is like, okay, great, thanks, really helpful, okay, you know. Right. And he starts <laughs> to, in the church, perform the Eucharist for just him and Bolin, and he prays for Lutz family, and as he does, one of the angel statues over the altar starts crumbling and plasters falling on him, and he's getting more and more upset, and he's screaming out to God, like, praying for the family, like, help. And finally he grabs his face and Father Bolin's like, oh, shit, like, maybe this guy does need a vacation. And he's screaming. And when he takes his hands down, Allison, Delaney tells Bolin, I can't see. I'm blind. And then we looked up at the angel statue, which we've just seen crumble. It's completely intact. That was only in his mind. Okay. Okay. 18th okay. night, Thursday. George, who looks like absolute fucking shit, like worse than he's ever looked, like he's chalk white, Wakes up to the sound of Native American drumming. Okay, we're not happy about that, but he, that's what he woke up to. That's what they you know, chose, so that's what's happening. <laughs> Kathy then wakes up and goes to check on Amy, only to find George standing over Amy's body, hacking her to pieces, blood everywhere. Luckily, it's just a dream, Allison. It's Amy's fine. It's totally fine. Great. But we still had to see it. Um, 19 day Thursday. Again, it's like you're gonna sleep there again after that. Like you just like, had this horrible like, nightmare. Get like out sleep of the in the house. Sleep in the car. Like it's like there. Go like to your anywhere. Parents. Go anywhere else. Get a tent and go into Jeff and Carolyn's backyard and sleep there. Yeah. yeah. And I literally wrote, "Go stay with Jimmy. Go stay with Jeff and Carolyn. You have people anywhere who would, I'm sure would happily take you and help you. Help take your kids and help you with this." 
Instead, George wakes up and he's sitting in front of the fire and he screams, oh, mother of God, I'm coming apart. And Kathy runs down like, oh, my God, are you okay? But he tries to play it off. He's like, no, I was I was just dreaming. Al said he literally has tears streaming down his face. <laughs> and Kathy's like, oh, my God, look at your foot. And his foot's bleeding. And she says, are those teeth marks? And George screams, stop nagging at me. You're always nagging. It's always something. It's like, she's yeah. nagging. She's asking if you've been bitten by something. By the devil. Like, well, give come on. And he gets up and he keeps throwing wood in the fire. He says, it's so cold in here. I, you know, and finally Kathy's like, we have to get out of the house. We cannot do this. We have to get out of here. And George screams, you wanted the house, but well, we're staying in the house. And she's, he slaps her across the face. And she starts sobbing and runs back upstairs. He's throwing more wood into the fire. George is completely lost at this point. George, Kathy finally goes on a trip to go see Father Delaney at the rectory. But by the time she gets there, Father Bowen says, oh, you know, he already went on his vacation. He's been so overworked. Doesn't mention the fact where he went blind. And Kathy begs Pretty him, important. like, please, I need to speak to him. And Bowen says, it's out of my hands, unfortunately. We also, in the background, there's a nun playing basketball with some kids, which I didn't think was fun. <laughs> I enjoy that. So Father Bolin goes to go visit Father Delaney, who is at some sort of home for blind and sane priests, I guess. Yeah. And it's gorgeous grounds. But it's obviously, it's not ideal. Like, he wish he could have been believed, and he refuses to speak. And he's still blind. And Father Bolin's like, well, I brought you some mail. Would you like me to read it? Or um, I could have them bring our lunch out here. And Father Delaney, who I'm assuming feels betrayed that even Bolin doesn't believe him, even though he's fucking been stricken blind, refuses to speak to him. So Father Bolin goes to leave and he runs into Sergeant Gianfrido. He starts to ask questions like, I want to know what happened to the father. What's the story? And Father Bolin's like, there's no story about Father Delaney. He just went mysteriously blind while raving about that house in Amityville. Just normal Catholic priest stuff. It's like, what? Like, even a priest would know that this is insane, you know? It's, no one's listening, you know? (laughs) Kathy goes to the newspaper archives, and fortunately, the newspaper guy's like, oh, you want everything written about your specific house? It's right here on microfiche, so you can just scroll it, and I'll leave you alone. You just let me know when you find out the hideous truth, and, you know, I'll walk you back up to the front. Like, he's like, you know, probably— Where, like, I was hired specifically so that people could find out the hideous truth about their house or their loved one. So I got it all set up for you. Yeah. She finds a photo of Ronald DeFeo Jr., and he looks exactly like George. And apparently that's the thing. Like, Kathy's had all these other experiences, but that's the thing where she's like, oh, no. Like, we are connected to the murders. Like, this can't be a coincidence. that's not anything. I know. But it's enough for her to drive home, It would be upsetting. Oh, devastating, but also they're both very handsome. I don't know. It's like Good for you, on Long Island, there's probably a couple guys who also look like that. You know, like it's it, it was the 70s, this long brown hair, yeah. big beard, you know. At home, George is just continuously sharpening his axe, and Amy's playing with Jody in her room, and Harry guards the red room in the basement, and we see the floor of the red room is like shifting and seething and moving. And Kathy's driving home just as the storm rolls in. And, of course, a stormy night, just like the night of the murders. And we see George tie tied tied the boat in the boathouse just as Kathy arrives home and, and starts yelling for the kids. Because I think she's like, well, fuck, he is going to kill everybody like just like uh, Ronald DeFeo Jr. did. She looks out the window and sees George approaching with an axe in his hand. Now, we know that George just had the axe because he constantly has the axe. Because he's always chopping th- stuff, chopping wood. So, but she, of course, assumes, oh, great, he's going to come and kill us. Unfortunately, Allison, when George looks up into Amy, uh, back at Amy's second floor window, he sees a red-eyed, 
purple, glowing, <laughs> gigantic hog. Allison, no. that hog is Jody. Jody. So he runs upstairs terrified, thinking the, ho- the hog is going to kill his family. Obviously. Can't find anyone. And as he's looking, the wallpaper starts to bleed. So I think we're experiencing it from his perspective now. Like he's been, mm-hmm. the evil has taken over him entirely. The wallpaper's bleeding. The kids have locked themselves in the bathroom. And he starts hacking through the door. And I think we're supposed to think he's trying to rescue them from the house. But of course for them, they're screaming. It's awful. Like they're like, he's going to kill ugh, us. Ugh. Kathy runs up, leaps on him, and they wrestle. And she hits the ground. And when he looks at her, she has like the face of an old woman. I mean, the worst thing a woman could be, an old woman. Old, I mean, oh my God, more terrifying, but also irrelevant. Yeah. And he swings his axe down at her, and she's barely able to roll out of the way. And she's just sobbing, don't hurt my babies. And finally, George snaps out of it, and they hold each other, and he says, Kathy, I wouldn't hurt you. But obviously... We can't trust that because as no. he's saying that, we he still is experiencing the hog and the bleeding walls. So it's like, oh, yeah, he, I wouldn't hurt you, but also my mind is maybe not seeing reality. So it's like I'm going to try to kill people. You know, yeah. it's like that's not a reassuring thing in this moment. Fortunately for everyone in the family, lightning strikes a tree and sends it crashing through the window. So they all, like, grab the kids and start running out toward, down the staircase, which is now covered in blood. And they're, like, slipping in it and, like, clamoring to the door. They get to the front door. Of course it won't open until George finally forces it open. They run to the car. They scramble for the keys. And jump, George jumps in the front seat. Allison, they start to drive away, and they get to the end of the driveway. Nope. And they stop because Amy's crying and saying, I want Harry. And Kathy's like, please just drive the car, George. Just keep going. She'll forget about it eventually. George stops the car, Allison, and gets out to run back and save that damn dog. As Kathy screams, no, No. don't do it. Not worth it. George goes back into the house and starts descending the basement stairs, which totally fall apart underneath him. And he's plummeted into a hole in the basement floor into the foundation that is filled with black blood. So he has fallen into the foundation of the house and he has to no. crawl out through black a crack blood? in the floor in the red room. No. So he is ca- crawling out into the red room. Harry, the dog, of course, assumes this is like a stranger, attacks George as he's trying to climb out. Obviously. But George is able to tell him, Harry, it's me. And Harry recognizes his voice. So finally, Harry latches on and is able to help drag George out of the pit. And as the family waits, screaming in the car, George, still covered in blood, emerges from the house, Harry in his arms, and makes it back to the car. And Allison, they all peel away. And we end on, you guessed it, text on the screen. Oh, boy. George and Kathleen and their family never reclaim their house or their personal belongings. Today, they live in a different state. The end. So they all survived. Okay, that's nice. Yeah, I really like that too. Um, so, what are some fatal mistakes you think the uh, anyone in this film may have made uh, sure. over the course of events? Fatal mistakes. I mean, I would say the priest not communicating to them that he had been there and left and then being, and and like, hey, by the way, like there were a bunch of flies and I couldn't stop barfing and I'm troubled by the energy of this house. But I don't think that that would have like moved the needle for anybody. No, exactly. Because they stayed for so long and after so much information about like what was going on that it's like, 
Yeah, that would have been, like, good to know at the onset before, like, some slightly weird stuff. But, like, it clearly didn't matter, and they stayed way too long. Yeah, and I guess, like, with George, it's like, okay, I think we're supposed to think it's sort of a shining situation where, like, he's starting to have a mental breakdown. But Kathy didn't, and Kathy was definitely picking up on a lot of stuff. I was thinking maybe what Father Delaney should have done is tell, like, like, his supervisors, like, if you don't believe me, you go to the fucking house. You go to the right. house, at least tell them, yeah. like, I, or give them a letter. Because be like, what if you drive there? Probably would have happened to any of the clergy members that would have exactly. visited. Or, like, Bolin. If Bolin had right. gone, like, if any of them had gone and had that exact same experience, it would have at least confirmed that part of, the, of his message. And if nothing else, they could— if they didn't have that, could sort of establish a relationship with the family and and maybe find out what was going on. But because they were so quick to dismiss him, and Father Delaney, I guess maybe didn't think about that part. No, no, none of the other clergy went there yes. other than Aunt Helena. And listen, I don't know if nuns and priests could talk to each other. I don't know. Unfortunately, sure. you know, they uh, there was a cross wire. So that to me was like a huge mistake of like, just send one of the other priests. He'll also start vomiting and then we'll know like this and is And then bad. it's like, okay, it's not just like this guy that they're all going to be like, you're losing it. Like, you're not paying attention. You're off your rocker. Like, it's like, oh, this is a real thing. Yeah. But again, like everybody survived, but they just stayed way too long. Yeah. And like, I guess it's like, it makes me think of Sinister, but I feel like Sinister mm. um, had the added pressure of um, his wife not knowing they'd moved into a murder house right away. So I think yes. it's like he was hiding it for a professional reason. So when things started to happen, it was like he was already lying. So it just mm-hmm. sort of got out even harder to tell. So, But this, I feel like they were both trying to be pretty upfront. And, you know, Kathy's obviously noticing this degeneration in George. But even she's experiencing weird things. And, you know, she wants to talk to the priest. But at a certain point, it's like, if the priest is on vacation, call another priest. You know, like, talk to somebody right. else. But... But then she does, and Father Boland blows her off, too. So they're so committed to not buying into Father Delaney's idea of what's happening Mm -hmm. that they put this family in greater danger. Yes. Um, Also, Father, as if uh, in real life it was Father Mancuso, Um, (laughs) uh, who was also a psychotherapist, which is very interesting. Um, But fortunately, in real life, yeah, the whole family bailed after 28 days. Interestingly, when they bought the house for $400, they got most of the DeFeo family's furniture. Oh, so God. that see so that they were I'm, living amongst their things. See, yeah, like I'm fine being in the house. I'm not like keeping their personal stuff around. I mean, if it was really nice and I got a great deal, I guess if I got a great deal, I would deal. move around what room, what stuff is in what room. Just shake up the the feng shui of that place, and probably not the bed since they were murdered there. I would not keep the beds, no matter how nice. If I were to guess, yeah, no, that's um. Interestingly, um, I'm reading the Wikipedia, of course, about the Ariel horror and sort of about the, the, the Lutz family after they moved out. And, of course, there's all this debate about, like, what actually happened? What was right. Jody, that pig? Why did they see a pig, you know? The various owners of the house since the Lutz families left in 1976 uh, have publicly reported no problems while living there. Um, one of the owners who bought the house in 1977 and lived there for 10 years said, nothing weird ever happened except people coming by because of the book and the movie. I, so, that, so then I it's like, that. well, how do you explain that? Yeah, like, we're supposed to think this thing is possessed. Everyone else who lived there is like, not just a regular house. So, yeah. Listen, I'm not saying it wasn't. I'm just saying, eh, you know what I mean? It's a little selective. Yes. Um, and then finally, where would you place the Amityville Horror on the spooky scale, Allison? 
spooky scale. I feel like this is a five. Okay. Like, there's some real scary stuff going on, and I think, like, the flies and the red eyes and the toilet and, like, (laughs) the axe and the intensity of all of that. Like, I think those are all very scary things, but we're talking about a haunted house. We're talking about, like, religious people getting sick in a place where I'm like, I just don't believe in those things. And therefore, like, it's not in reality. And also, like, the fact that everybody lives. Yes. Makes it a little less, it's not like, well, now there have been some deaths and that's kind of horrific and and, and kind of brings everything into reality a little bit more. It's like, oh, it's just like scary, awful stuff that's happening. But like, everybody got out of there. So I think a five. I'm going to give it a four because I think Margot Kidder and James Brolin are really good in this, especially I think James Brolin, like his sort of descent into madness. It is really scary because it's like, this is what we're talking about. Like the idea of like a member of your family losing their grip on reality to the point where you're afraid that they're going to hurt other people is, I mean, such a core terror, uh, you know, of humanity that watching that part and them sort of like, slip away from each other and then, like, slip closer to the edge of whatever is going on. Mm-hmm. I did really like that. That being said, a lot of it is sort of like, you know, yeah. a window. You can't open a window. Right. Flies. You know, it's like, and, and I'm and not that I'm not afraid of flies. I am. I don't want to see gross. too many of them. Yeah. I don't want to see more than two flies at one point. If I saw Never. thousands, that would no. be awful. But, I, yeah, I'm not concerned about a demon making a priest throw up. Like, I, that kind of stuff is just not as scary to me. Yeah. Um, interestingly, uh, of course, in 1976, because the ultimate charlatans, Ed and Lorraine Warren from The Conjuring. Obviously, those grifters. They, uh, so not only do they, of course, investigate the um, Amityville house, which is the, at the beginning of The Conjuring 2. You've seen them at the Amityville Horror House. But, however, ahead of the movie's relief release, they— uh, the the actual couple, George and Kathy Lutz and the actor who plays um, Father Delaney, Rod Steger, they went on the Merv Griffin show to promote the least release of the film. And no. it's like, that's insane no. that you, the, if you genuinely believe this is happening and then you go out and Merv Griffin, right. you're like, go see this movie based this movie. on evidence that the devil exists or like no. that it was going to kill my family. That's no. so weird. You guys are assholes. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you got to think how much money were they making? How much money did the Warrens, you know, yes. make off of, like, involving that in their story, you know, as well. But, um, you know, again, who who am I to say um, other than I, if it was $80,000, I'm buying that house. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, I would live in there for $80,000. You know I would. I'd keep the furniture except for the beds. <laughs> Um, well, guys, we hope you enjoyed this one. This is sort of a classic that I'm yeah. glad we finally got to um, get to. Yes. And I had completely forgotten I'd read the book. And the things that really stuck with me were the flies and Jody being a pig. And I, they don't explain it. I yes. don't know other than, like, there is something menacing about a hog. There's a big, yes. scary, very smart. Um, other than that, I don't really, like, maybe a goat seems more demonic. Like yeah. a pig, it's like a, a you know. Philip. yeah. They're kind. They're very cute. They got little cute noses. So yeah, I don't know. I, they're playing both sides of the field. I guess. Yes. 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 Um, they c- contain multitudes. Yeah, but um, we hope you enjoyed this. Yes. And in the meantime, um, please let us know some other um, haunted house movies if you're yes. interested in um, 
getting your pick on the on the show. And if not, you know, we'll do it in the future. You know, yeah. don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. if you haven't uh, joined the Patreon yet, I know we've been pushing that a lot, but it's uh, so, so great. There's bonus episodes. There's videos. You get live show tickets, which we're doing, you know, so many good upcoming live shows, so many good movies to cover. So um, go check out patreon.com slash podcast and uh, poke around there. There's some fun stuff going on. Um, and in the meantime, please, yes. all we really ask of you Just is... Just one thing. To keep it spooky. And say hi to Jody for us. Jody. Ruined is a Radio Point production with executive producers Alex Bach, Sabrina Fonfetter, and Houston Snyder. Recorded and edited by Kat Iosa. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, Eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.